John Gilbert is here. He's the director of athletics for ECU. Good morning, John. Good morning. And John Thanks has his mask me. on. Yes. You can take it off for the interview. Okay, I don't think I don't think the uh, the health department people are going to get you for it. I'm not worried about the health department. It's all the other uh, individuals that <laughs> yeah. I want to make sure that I'm complying uh, with. McGee is also here. McGee was in line there. Good morning, McGee. Never John, got my coffee, but I can wait. I, I came to Greenville in 1971, and uh, I was just thinking about this this morning. This whole area looked a lot different. There was a uh, a legendary restaurant right across the street where Sheets was. It was called Lums at the time, but it became the Pirates, uh, uh, a crow's nest. And, of course, the crow's nest became legendary in Greenville for many years, and then it closed. But the Krispy Kreme was located one block down where the Starbucks is now. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is a little history lesson for yeah, you, John. Yeah, I like it. And then, But it moved here during my ECU years, and it moved closer to my dorm. And so, I, you know, when I would walk by here going downtown or whatever, you know, the hot light would always drag me in here. <laughs> It's easy to do. That hot now light is, uh, I think everybody pays attention to it when they drive by. All right, so much to talk about. Uh, John Gilbert, the athletic director at ECU, uh, here live with us at Krispy Kreme. Come by and say hello to John, but wear your mask. Um, The announcement earlier this week from the conference, the American Athletic Conference, that there would be eight conference games and four up to four non-conference games, which we originally had scheduled here at ECU, was the first real confirmation that we were even going to have football. And I know that this has been really tough on you, and you've had to deal with a lot here. Let's just kind of start from the beginning and uh, kind of tell us where we are right now with the football season. Well, really more so with the conference uh, schedule release, we're going to play eight conference games, and then it is going to be up to each institution to determine how many non-conference games they play. And so you'll, you'll see some teams have said, we're going to play 12 games, some set of 11. R- right now we have 10 games scheduled. So we, we lost uh, Norfolk State when the MEAC decided they weren't playing football. We're going to push that game to 2025. The South Carolina game, I'd been in contact with Ray Tanner pretty much all summer. And we even spoke the morning that the uh, the SEC came out with what they were doing, and and we're working on pushing that game because they they're supposed to come to Greenville next year, and so we want to make sure that we uh, keep that series, and then we're holding for right now. I, I think um, if you look nationally, I, I think a lot of people are doing uh, ten games depending on how they get there. One league's doing nine plus one. Uh, one league is doing ten conference games only. I, I feel like ten is right where we need to be, and I, I don't think it's um, I don't think it's the right thing to do to go add games right now because I want to make sure number one that we're doing all the things we need to do to play one game. So so you don't envision an additional non-conference game right now i i could see us maybe adding an fcs game if if it works out but i really am not in a rush to do it i i FCS think meaning the so one the formal one double a right I, I think uh that to replace the norfolk state game i i really think you know they're going to be more dominoes fall between now and the actual time we and I think going out and adding a game and doing all these things, 
is posturing. And I don't want to posture. Gotcha. I'm going to hold tight on what we got. You know, we were all kind of uh, interested in the fact that the ACC said they could play more games if they played them in state. So we've all been wondering if you've been uh, on the phone to some of your ACC buddies. You know, we've talked all summer uh, to, to, to multiple schools. And I think you'll see that everybody is having to look at what their contract language is. And so some contracts are, are newer and have a force majeure clause where you could get out of the game because of the pandemic. Others do not have that language. And so I think each school is looking at what their language is. Can they go get another game and drop uh, a, a game that they currently have? And so there, there are a lot of behind the scenes issues like that that are determining who plays who. All right, the uh, the big question, who is going to be able to come to the games? Uh, what kind of fan participation do you think we will have at this point? And I know you were waiting for Governor Cooper to give some direction on that Wednesday, and he didn't. Right. So so what are you going to do? Well, we're, we're being proactive with it. Uh, I sent out a communication to our donor base uh, the last day or two letting them know that this was coming in some form. My, my hope would be we'll, we'll get to somewhere around a 20% capacity. Now, there are a lot of approvals that we would have to go through to get there. And so we're planning on anywhere from no fans at all up to a 20% capacity. And so we'll meet with local and state health officials to help us determine is that here's our plan, here's how we'll do it, are you comfortable with our plan, uh, and then we'll proceed from there. And, and it also could be, I could also see a tiered approach where maybe early on, uh, maybe we play a game with no fans and then we get to the 20%. There are just so many more variables we're working through. The last time you were here, um, your last time you were on the show, I believe I recall you saying that even with the losses that, you know, were projected this year with everything that's happened at ECU over the last few years, that if you ended up having to play football with no fans, I believe the number you used was $20 million, uh, that there would be a $20 million loss. Is that, is that still possible? I, I think the loss will be somewhere between 12 to 20 depending on the, the the number of fans and the the testing and, and all the expenditures. You, it, it's easy to project what the revenue uh, loss is from a ticket sales pirate club standpoint. The, what, what you can't project right now is what, what are the actual costs going to be to put on a game that you, you have 20% capacity, so you're opening the entire stadium, so your workforce costs are still the same with a, mm -hmm. a reduced revenue plus all the testing, supplies. I, I would say 12 to 20 is probably a really good estimate. How do you cover that? Do you have that in the bank? Uh, I do not. <laughs> um, I, I do not. And, and so I, I think it is um, – it's a difficult thing that, you know, deciding to do what we're doing is an institutional decision. You, you know, this isn't um, this isn't a John Gilbert decision. Like I'm on the 
I'm on the phone with Ron Mitchelson, uh, who I think's done a, an excellent job and has been really, really good to work with uh, from an institutional standpoint. He's doing really good things for us in handling this pandemic uh, in a very professional manner. Th this will be an institutional decision of how we proceed. So as we talk about games and scheduling games and, and you know, if we're going to add a game or if we're going to stay exactly how we are, my, my first call is to him to say, here's the landscape. Here's, here's what I know. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on how you feel like we should proceed? So we're, we're very much aligned institutionally. But you do believe even if fans are not allowed to come into the stadium, that the games will be played. I, I think we are going to try to play games even yeah. if there are no fans right. in the stands because, you know, we still um, – we, we can create I, – I, I don't want to give any illusion that we're creating a complete bubble for our kids. Uh, this isn't the NBA. Uh, we're going to be more like Major League Baseball as it relates to interacting, you know, on a normal daily basis. But, but I do think with the testing protocols that we have in place and, and keeping our uh, teams relatively isolated in our footprint, I, I think there's the potential to play. Uh, if you're just joining us, John Gilbert is here with us live at Krispy Kreme this morning. You can come by and fist bump John. Uh, he's going to be here for a few minutes uh, answering questions. from he's, he's having his press conference with McGee and me this morning. And uh, by the way, you mentioned uh, Chancellor elect uh, Chancellor interim Chancellor uh, Ron Mitchelson, who's been a longtime friend, and is, I agree with you, has done a great job. Love Ron Mitchelson. Uh, Ron is going to be on 94.3 the game this afternoon at five with Patrick Johnson. So you know we got you on this morning here. We'll hear from Ron this afternoon and get his perspective on this, which I'm sure will be very much like what you're saying. But uh, for folks who want to tune in to hear Patrick this afternoon, he'll have the interim chancellor on at five o'clock. Trent McGee's got a couple questions for you. John, you mentioned the possibility of not having any fans at all or 20% capacity. If if you choose not to allow fans to attend games, what's what's going to be the main thing driving that decision? And what are you looking at specifically to help with that decision? Well, well, I think if we don't have fans in the stands and we still play a game, it, it will be um, the lack of – uh, approvals to accommodate people in a mass setting like that okay. would, would be the reason we wouldn't allow fans. Certainly from our standpoint, we want people to be there. And, and so we're going to do everything we can uh, to try to get people to be there. Uh, ultimately, uh, we've got to get the proper approvals to do that. And we need to be able to do it from a you know, state, local health official standpoint that they're comfortable with whatever plan we put in place. And, and in terms of if you if, if there was a game being played tomorrow, I know you guys have been working around the clock since everything began. Uh, do you feel comfortable with the plan you have in place now to have fans in the stadium distanced out enough to where you feel comfortable with it and they should feel comfortable with it, too? I, I would say I'm not comfortable today. Like if we played a game, it's Friday. If we played a game tomorrow, um, I'm not comfortable at this point, but I do feel like we can get comfortable. You know, we're, we're, we've got uh, a little bit more time to, to really dial in our plan and talk about, you know, specifics from an operational standpoint. And, and so I, I do think that we can get there. I'm not there today, 
but we have discussions weekly about what and how we could do this. John Gilbert, the athletic director at ECU, has the governor in, uh, given any guidance at all? I mean, we were really expecting to hear this is now August the 7th, and you guys are still trying to decide what to do, and people need to make their plans, and there's a lot of financial concerns here. Has the governor ever spoken at all to uh, college athletics? Well, well, I don't – I have not had a discussion with the, with the governor um, – so, no, I, I'm not sure that he's addressed college athletics in general. Uh, obviously, if you watch some of the other things, the, the National Republican National Convention in Charlotte and, and some other big events, obviously we're taking our cues off of that. Uh, I did watch his press conference the other day. Uh, so I am hopeful uh, by the time we get to a game, we will have presented a plan uh to have fans in the stands to talk about what percentage uh, that is that everyone is comfortable with before we proceed. That is, that does seem to kind of be the procedure. He wants you to come to him with a plan and then he'll vote it up or vote it down. Right. right. And, and although some people tried to get to him with their plan and they couldn't get the meeting. We talked well, about that yesterday. Well, well, I, I think it's important for us to start locally. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I want to make sure our, our own backyard is comfortable first. So right. uh, working through uh, Chancellor Mitchelson, obviously, uh, Dr. Silvernail uh, is, is our uh, local uh, individual that oversees public health for Pitt County. We're going to start there. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't want to uh, jump ahead. I want to follow every process and, and make sure we're doing it the right way. And, and I don't know Dr. Silvernail, but I followed kind of what he said through this and uh, he seems to have been very rational and understands that Eastern North Carolina is not like downtown Charlotte. Well, well, we are different and uh, in a good way. And, uh, you know, I, I love this community and love, love being here and we want to make sure we do it the right way and everybody's happy with it. Uh, let's talk about what you're having to do now with the athletes. The football players are back. They're practicing. Um, there's a lot, it's gotta be a lot different this year. We're seeing video of the guys with mask on during practice, but my understanding is you're having to do contact tracing and things like that. That's gotta be crazy. It, it really is, uh, unprecedented, unlike, and, and I know everyone is going through something similar, but, uh, our world has radically changed as it relates to, uh, all the things that we're doing. I uh, met with the team uh, last night, a, a lot of things to talk about. Uh, obviously, contact tracing is one of them, uh, th this new NCAA opt-out. So uh, a student athlete, if they have COVID concerns, they can opt out uh, for participating for a year. Their scholarships will still be honored, all those things. They still would have access to academic support but would not have access to weight room, locker room, and all those things. And so we're, we're working on that documentation to our student-athletes. Has anybody chosen that yet? I, I talked to our football team about it yesterday. Okay. And so I indicated to them that they would be getting a correspondence to let us know what that was, but that if there were concerns on our part or on their part to let us know. I, I'll say this. Um, East Carolina with our uh, med school, with Brody, 
with our student health led by uh, Joe Arman, our, our team doctor, we have excellent medical care. Uh, like I feel like when I talk to other day, other ADs in the country, our medical care, our athletic training staff, we are getting top-notch medical care here. We're, we're uh, doing uh, weekly testing. I think I told you before the show, we've done right around 650 tests with, uh, I think we've had 60 positives across multiple sports. I think we have, um, you know, somewhere 8 to 12 active cases right now. Um, that's really good. The contact tracing part, I'll try to be as brief as I can on this. If we play on Saturday and we get tested on Wednesday to determine who can play and who cannot, I'm the I'm the offensive center. I test negative on Thursday morning. You are the nose guard who I've gone against all week in practice and I've beaten up really bad, you know, because I'm a little more athletic than you right now. <laughs> uh, you test negative. Yeah. So you're negative, but it because of contact tracing, you've been deemed a close contact to me. Would you, it just be a player who's played right next to someone? Well, it's someone that is that that they deem as a close contact. So okay. uh, re- repetitive contact in close quarters. Gotcha. So a lot of offensive linemen would fall into this of who they've practiced against. So you're you're out for the game for 14 days. It doesn't matter that you tested negative. We could test you five to seven days later. You're still negative. You're still out for a mandatory 14 days. And so as teams try to do this, it is going to be very complex and a lot of luck of who makes it through uh, and and plays games. Wow. Sounds like a nightmare. So if the defensive back who is – covering the wide receiver in practice. If that defensive back tests positive and the wide receiver who was going up against in practice all week tests negative, that wide receiver is going to have to still sit out for 14 days. Potentially, yes. But because uh, receivers and DBs probably a little more generous just because they're not on top of each other like linemen are. But, yes, that that is ultimately what they would be looking at. You know, we've seen these over the years. We've seen players who've used these uh, plastic face shields. I was wondering, are, are the helmets going to have any extra equipment in them this year like P- that? Potentially. Uh, w- when I met with the team yesterday, we actually talked about that. that they're not as comfortable with those. That they um, Now, that would be a player preference, not something that we will so mandate. Be mandated. Okay. We, we won't mandate. If they want to wear a, a, a neck gaiter and pull it up when they come off, that's fine. Some may choose to use the shield. I don't feel they don't feel like they can breathe as well with the shield. But they will have to play in a a, a neck buff or a mask. They'll have to have one where when they come on the sideline, they'll be able to pull but it. But not up. while the action's going on. Not while the action gotcha. is going. What about coaches on the sideline? Are you guys going to mandate that which they kind, have to have masks kind of, on? That, that's that's kind of uh, counterproductive to what we're hearing about gyms and all that. I mean, they're breathing heavy on the field. I mean, some of this stuff just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, well I, I think, number one, coaches do play a part. And, and uh, Coach, Coach Houston and I have talked about that. If, if, uh, if you know, we – if he has an issue, well, like he has to quarantine. Uh, and, and I told him, 
if, if you have to quarantine, then I might make myself the head coach <laughs> and we're going to throw deep on every play and blitz on every down. I'm just going to bring an exciting brand. Like, just go uh, along on three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody go deep. Everybody blitz. Um, it, it, but back to Henry, back to, to your comment. It, it, it really is like we're doing all this testing and, yeah. and it is really important. And, and I think the testing, number one, it, it gives our student athletes some feedback of where they are and what they need to do. But ultimately, we're not like the NBA. We're not in an isolated bubble. Right. And, and as soon as they leave our athletic footprint, we, we really don't know what they're what they're doing and who they're in front of. And so it, it is very difficult to manage. John Gilbert, the director of athletics at uh, ECU, is with us live here at Krispy Kreme this morning. And, John, I promised the big question. Everybody wants to know about the uh, Marshall game. This has been such an anticipated event, and ESPN was going to nationally televise it, scheduled for August 29th. And we've heard your comments now for weeks that that game could be moved back. Uh, what's the latest on that? We're in discussion with Marshall about moving the game. Uh, we have not 100% landed on a date yet, but I anticipate it uh, coming off of the August 29th date and, and pushing it back uh, a couple weeks. And the next game, now that Norfolk State and South Carolina have been canceled, the next game on the schedule is the Thursday night game here in Greenville with Central Florida. That is on the 24th. I'm assuming that that coach uh, Houston would rather not play the game uh, on the 19th on the Saturday prior to that. Right. So correct. you're talking about either September 5th, 5th or September 12th. That, that's correct. We're looking at both of those dates. Uh, nothing final yet. I hope to have that finalized the first of the week. Is Marshall open on those dates? Uh, Marshall is working on, I think they've had some games that have dropped as well. Right. And so they're working on finalizing their schedule as well. And so once once they determine what they're going to do, we're going to work together. Uh, I've been in contact with Mike Hamrick uh, pretty much all summer uh, talking about the game. We're committed to playing the game. And so just making sure we find the the, the right date to, to make that work. I, I do think uh, over the coming weeks, you're, you're going, to, going to see a lot of schedule adjustments. Yeah. You, you know, a, as you look nationally of what's been done, you know, throughout every conference, all these schedules are going to make a, 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 a tweak here and there. That game was supposed to be uh, played on week zero, which is the week before the season right. really is opening for the rest of uh, college football. I think there were only going to be three games that, that week. And so we were going to be on national television on ESPN. Uh, if it moves back to the 5th or the 12th of September, will we still get that treatment from ESPN or do you know? Uh, not committed at this time. They'll, they'll basically look at the inventory and choose from there. And I know that moving it back uh, may jeopardize that exposure, but I also think it's the right thing to do based yeah. on where we are. Right. And so I want to be mindful of that, that we're right. doing the right thing. Because that's not a conference game and it's a game that ESPN wanted were we going to get more money for that? Was ECU going to get more money from ECU for that? I mean, from ESPN for that? No. no. The the way the, the TV contract works for the league is that they, they tell us 
we're going to give you X number of dollars and we're going to televise this many of your games. Uh So, so whether like next year, uh, they'll have South Carolina, the, the AAC will get the ECU South Carolina game. Obviously that's a good primetime game for them. They will not give us any additional money for that. I got you. It it is a, it is a flat, uh, TV rights fee and then they massage where the games are in their lineup. Speaking of ESPN and money, uh, this is the year that the new uh, American contract is uh, kicking in, right? And so we're going to what? We're getting like three and a half million dollars now versus what we used well, to. Get. Well, we'll go. We'll go from about three million dollars, three and a half to six, six and oh, a half million. So. And, and so it, it is going to be a significant uh, increase. And, uh, but some of that has, doesn't some of that have to be spent on your ESPN package? It it does. ESPN plus package? Yes. So you've got to take some expenses out of that. We are. And we're actually doing that right now. We're, we're building a control room, uh, under Dowdy Ficklin and we're getting close to having that done. So when we host a, a game, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, it, the the operation of that is going to come uh, underneath Dowdy Ficklin in this control room where we have wired all of our athletic facilities uh, with fiber to run back to this control room. We've got a really good group led by Greg Pierce, who's managing that project for us. And uh, Greg and his team will will essentially run and operate these uh, this programming for us. And, and just while we're on the uh, subject of TV money, for people who don't understand the difference in what an AAC team gets versus uh, a Power 5 school, those schools are now getting $50 million, and we're now getting six, right? Well, to, to, to give you some perspective, you know, Conference USA schools are getting, you know, around three hundred and fifty to $400,000. Total. Total. Per school. Per school. Right. Uh, AAC teams, we, we were getting, let's call it three, three and a half this year, going to six, six and a half plus uh, this year. And uh, SEC, they're they're in the 45 million uh, per year. Uh, it's big difference. It's cr- it's 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 crazy. It, it's so in- inequitable based on the ratings. I know, you know, some of our games have been really highly, highly rated games over the years, probably not in the last few years, frankly, right. but, um, but I, I remember, uh, of course this goes all the way back to the peach bowl. I remember the year that we won the peach bowl and I know how, that's ancient history now, but that was the, that was the highest rated bowl game that year. Is that it's, right? It's crazy. Yeah. Or may, maybe it was the highest rated daytime bowl game that year, yeah. I believe. Uh, but it was such a great, such a great game. Uh, McGee is choosing to do away with the divisions in the league. Do you see something like that sticking, or do you think these leagues will go back to having the East, West, or Coast of Atlantic, whatever division it is? I, I think they'll go back after this year. Now, I, it wouldn't surprise me, like, you know, some leagues, you know, they're only playing eight conference games in a traditional year, and, and they might have 14 members. Now, I could see them saying, hey, moving forward, let's play one more conference game. Uh, you know, let, let's add more value uh, to the viewership, to the, 
to their individual TV deals and let's play more conference games because of the matchups that we can create that's good for TV. And in regard to the impact of football across the country, Henry and I were talking this morning in the first hour about a comment that Paul Feinbaum made about if certain schools and, and really I, we think I think smaller schools didn't have a football season that it could potentially cause their athletic department to fold altogether. You, you think that's something that, that could very well be I, the case? I, I think there'll be some small schools that depending on how this fall plays out uh, with the pandemic, uh, I think it is going, it, it's certainly going to hit every institution. Sure. So no institution is, is uh, going to get out of this without having a significant financial impact. I think what you'll see are these private schools, you know, depending on where their endowments and reserve funds are, that they will take a hit first because uh, of the amount of money it costs to go to schools like that. And, and I think you'll see students, uh, you know, that pay 75 grand a year to attend an institution. They're not getting that experience anymore based on how the distance learning is going, you could see some significant enrollment declines. The benefit these public institutions will have is they do have the potential for, uh, you know, federal and, and state mm -hmm. uh, funding. McGee had uh, an interesting question during the break. Yeah. McGee asked that question. So if, if ECU begins the season, plays two or three games, and there's suddenly an outbreak and you have to shut things down, um, what would that mean potentially for the team that you just played the previous week? And for those remaining teams that were on the schedule, would that go down as just the game would not count? I mean, what, what, what happens? There? We're talking about scenarios like that. So, so number one, if, if we have, obviously depending on how the schedule plays out for our fan base, we're, we're going to have to potentially refund uh, some tickets. You know, if we don't make up the Norfolk state game, uh, we would refund or credit depending on what each individual fan wants to do with that. As it relates to a team in this contact tracing, we will test on Wednesday of game weeks for a Saturday game. If uh, we have an outbreak after that or a, a person that tests positive the following week, we do our medical staff would notify the team that we played the past week of who was who tested positive and what their exposure to the game was. So if we going back to using the center, if if we had our center test positive the week after the game, we would let the previous week's team know, hey, our center tested positive. Let's look at the film and determine which of your teams had close contact. And they would uh, they, they would make the necessary uh, quarantine decisions at that time. And then we would talk to the team that we're about to play. And w we are trying to determine what that number is of positives and quarantines to determine if we play the game or not. Okay. So, John, you, you see this being kind of like the Major League Baseball situation right now where we're going to start the season and stop it, start it and stop it. I think that is exactly what it's going to look like because if you look at the NBA who is truly in a bubble, yeah. they, they can't leave. They're only around each other. They're tested every couple of days. 
uh, it is a very secure environment. Major League Baseball, uh, they're traveling, staying in hotels, uh, doing different things. Uh, It it is a a much different scenario, much like on a college campus. So we can can do all the things that we need to do from a protocol standpoint when our student-athletes are on the athletic footprint. But once they once they leave our footprint and go into town or do different things, they are not quarantined uh, or or in a bubble. And so I do think it's going to be a lot like Major League Baseball. Um, we got to get in a last break in, but before we do that, I, I just got to ask you, how do you see this changing the landscape, not just with college athletics, but universities and colleges as a whole? I mean, there's going to be a lack of funding. There's going to be a change in the attitude toward how things are funded. Uh, This is going to be the sea change that we've been, you wondered what would create it, but this is going to be it, isn't it? I I think we're headed down the path toward the right sizing of higher ed uh, in many ways. Uh, You know, I don't want to speak to to what's going on uh, campus wide. Obviously, Dr. Mitchelson could talk about you know, the things of how he sees it impacting. But but if you just look, uh, we know that we can have meetings uh, virtually now, and they can be pretty effective where we don't all have to be in the same place. So in in some respects, we already know uh, we might not need all the buildings that we have, you know, from a brick-and-mortar standpoint. So the, the next time we build a building, it, we ought to really think long term. Is right. this something that we need long term? But I also think athletically, it is definitely going to right size us and make us more efficient. I, I think more change is coming. I, I think we're only seeing the start of this. I think you're right. It'll be an interesting fall. It's been an interesting year. It has. Bring on the vaccine. Let's get this done. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. John yes, Gilbert, the director of athletics. John, thank you so much for spending the whole morning with us this yeah, morning. Yeah, thanks for having me. A really appreciate the two thank of you, you all. Got a and, lot of our uh, questions answered, and I know that there's still some that you, you don't know the answer to yet, so we'll just stay tuned. Yeah. Go Pirates. All right. Go Pirates.